Is it a glimpse of our future in space? The 2021 NIAC Symposium, this week on Planetary Radio. Welcome. I'm Matt Kaplan of the Planetary Society with more of the human adventure across our solar system and beyond. A special episode this week in spite of the fact that I'm on vacation. Though we had hoped to gather in person over three days in September, the annual symposium of NIAC Fellows forged ahead in the virtual world. It was my honor to once again host many of the fellows and other participants during nine breaks in the symposium action. You'll hear highlights of two of these conversations today, with many more at planetary.org radio. NIAC is the NASA Innovative Advanced Concepts Program, and I think you'll agree that it lives up to its name. We'll follow this dive into the leading or bleeding edge of space tech with yet another What's Up from Bruce Betts. I can't share headlines from the downlink with you because I produced this episode days ago, but that doesn't prevent you from visiting planetary.org slash downlink to see the latest edition of the Planetary Society's newsletter. There's a new one every Friday. You can also have it conveniently delivered to your inbox as I do, and it's always free. We'll start our NIAC visit with an overview from the person who leads the program. Jason Derleth is the NIAC Program Executive at NASA Headquarters. He was the opening speaker at this year's symposium. I began by reminding Jason of how he said new NASA Deputy Administrator Pam Melroy had described NIAC. She called NIAC the seed corn for NASA, which I thought was a very apt metaphor yeah, that's kind of how I think of NIAC, sort of the, I think of us as the venture capitalists of NASA. We get a little bit of money and we try and invest it in what the future could be. And uh, hopefully some of these things will come through and really strike it rich. But obviously we're not earning money as venture capitalists. What we're doing is we're investing in humanity's future for space. And so striking it rich might mean enabling somebody to go out and mine asteroids and sell the water. So somebody else might actually be making lots of money, but what it will do is enable the human race to go deeper and farther into space and to help us explore, which is what it's all about. And you just mentioned several of the things, uh, projects <laughs> uh, the fellows uh, have proposed uh, that we'll be hearing about over the next few days. Uh, you also mentioned that most of the projects that are funded uh, through the NIAC program may never turn into anything uh, practical or real, but that even some of those have rippling effects. And I don't know if you can see it in your picture, but here on my space tie, there's Ingenuity, which is uh, still now and then flying above the surface of Mars. And didn't you say that Ingenuity was sort of inspired by, a, by an IAC project? Yes, the PI of, of Ingenuity actually mentioned it in an article, and we contacted him, and he confirmed, yes, that he got the idea from watching a presentation kind of like what we're doing today, uh, going out to the world uh, live without really knowing what people are going to be saying. These, this is a conference in only the sort of structure. What it really is is it's a, a working meeting where the various projects are reporting their progress out to the program office. And we are evaluating the, the, their project reports, essentially. But like I said, we bring everybody together 
so that it becomes this fellowship of ingenuity, of uh, a fellowship of creativity and advanced concepts thinkers that are helping each other instead of just pursuing their own careers. They're, they're helping everybody else pursue careers as well, but helping to explore. You made another great point as you were talking about exactly this in your in your opening presentation, and that was the interdisciplinary nature that is that is so key to NIAC, and another reason why it's so important to bring everybody together. I only wish we were all in one big room in uh, in Tucson, which of course was the plan before the pandemic uh, got in the way, the Delta variant. I have seen the synergy taking place after presentations where you know one fellow will walk up to another and say hey i we need to talk you must see that a lot my favorite uh, story is when i was sitting at uh, breakfast one morning in the, the hotel restaurant and i had a, a very disheveled fellow come up to me and say thank you for having this meeting i was up until three o'clock last night talking with another fellow and we're going to put in a, a proposal to the next uh, solicitation together as a team. And that does happen. Probably once every couple of years, we get proposals from teams that met each other during the symposium and, and partnered, which is just fantastic. That really is. Could you take us through sort of a, an elevator speech version of how NIAC does its work, how proposals are made, how they're evaluated, and, and how they get funded? <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Uh, we are open to anyone who is legally able to work in the United States to propose to. And so we get generally about 300 proposals every year. The program office goes through those 300 proposals for phase one studies, which I already mentioned. It's a, a nine month study for $125,000 last year. Now we're up to $175,000 this year in the open solicitation now. And, and we look through those 300 and we eliminate anyone who's out of scope for the program, which is a, a large percentage of them. For prospective proposers, I can just say, read the solicitation. Uh, if you're out of scope for the program, we can't select you no matter how good your idea is. And so we select about uh, 110 of them to go forward to full panel reviews. I should have said that those first proposals are only three-page white, white papers that describe the idea and how it will be used in the future if it is a successful technology development. The full eight-page proposal comes to a, a panel review where we hire experts in the fields, uh, the various fields, and, and that means that we have to have multiple fields sitting at the table almost every time for each review. Uh, but we make sure that we have at least one or two experts in the actual field of each proposal that's being reviewed. And then we have a, a, a technical panel review where these experts talk about each of the proposals and rank them and provide us with a ranked list. We take that list, the best ones out of that list, and we check to make sure that no other place in NASA is funding similar work. And we check with our own mission directorate uh, the higher up technology development folks and the other technology folks within the other mission directorates at NASA, like the science mission directorate. We check with the technologists there to see if there is any special interest or special disinterest from those groups. And then we take the entire set of information that we've gleaned in a small package to the source selection official who then chooses the about 16 winners each year. And like I said, anyone who is eligible to work legally in the United States is eligible to propose to NIAC. And so we have had graduate students 
propose and win. We've had an undergraduate student propose and win a NIAC award. We've had garage inventors. Uh, quite literally, one of our fellows had a an optics bench in his garage that he was working from. Uh, we've had physical therapists proposing how to do artificial gravity in a new way that's never been thought of before. Normally, you rotate a spacecraft and the astronauts stick to the inside. He came up with an interesting way of doing it linearly with a sled. Uh, so we, we've had these really creative folks from medium-sized businesses, small businesses, and even NASA propose new ideas. And while it, it might sound a little bit like insider pool there when NASA can propose to a NASA program, there are a lot of folks who have really challenging ideas that the status quo can't always accept. A great example of that might be the Apollo program had the Earth orbit rendezvous and the lunar orbit rendezvous where the uh, rocket launched and then they turned the capsule around and pulled out the limb and then they took that whole set to the moon and they separated the limb went to the surface and then the astronauts came back up and docked again with the command module and then came home. That was not the preferred solution. And there was one engineer at Langley Research Center who said, that's the right way to do it. And I can prove it mathematically. And he had to keep arguing and keep arguing and keep arguing. And eventually people said, that might be the only way we can do it. Let's do that. <laughs> and we get folks like that that have, have said, hey, you know, there might be a better way, folks. And we are one of the few places that they can go and get a little bit of money to do a real study to show that their idea might be the best way to do it, or maybe even the only way. So how then do phase one fellows make it up to phase two and then to that ultimate level of phase three? Phase three, I like to say, doesn't exist. As a proposer to the program, I think it's the best strategy to always be done, to, to be ready to to seize an opportunity that shows up, even if you've just finished a phase one proposal, maybe you can find funding from an implementation organization right mm -hmm. then. And that's the best way to go. NIAC has only a very small number of dollars uh, and only a very small number of studies. Uh, so what we do is we have the phase ones that have completed their studies, but not won a phase two yet. And yes, that means that people who have won studies in the past, but haven't won a phase two can repropose. Uh, they make a longer proposal, 20 or 25 pages, depending on the year, for a $500,000 study that lasts two years. And we look at the proposals and have a technical panel with experts in the fields, uh, give us a rating and a ranking, and then we take it to the source selection official after checking for make to make sure there's still no duplication of funding anywhere else, very similar to the phase ones. And for the phase threes, we do a very similar process, but without a technical panel because the NIAC program office has been shepherding these folks for four years. We, fee we feel that we are the experts as far as those are concerned. And then we get input from the mission directorates, especially because phase threes, the one that we get each year, we only get one. And that's why I say, especially for phase twos, don't count on the phase three being your source of funding. Try and find an implementer that wants your technology instead. Say something about, the NIAC External Council, because it is uh, such a collection of all-stars. So the original NIAC program had an external council to help guide it towards the edge of what's possible. And we implemented that when we started the new program up again in 2011. Uh, what the 
external counsel is meant to do is to keep us from having that sort of slow creep towards the mere, if you will, a mere additional government program. Hmm. Uh, government programs tend to shy away from risk over time. Uh, they, they choose things that are certain instead of things that are uncertain because that's how you, you know, have successes and successes are everything for individual careers. The NIAC program doesn't want that to happen. And so we have a whole bunch of, well, a whole bunch is nine, eight, eight uh, experts from the field, the different fields to help us understand how well we did. They are not involved in the selection process at all, but they do give us feedback each year on what we selected and tell us, hey, this one was a little bit over the line towards science fiction and these other other ones seem too implementable, too easy for the NIAC program. So you need to think about that. We really appreciate their time and their input to the program. They're, they're absolutely vital to keep this program on the cutting edge. And I really thank each and every one of them for coming each year and, and, and attending these meetings and asking questions because they help make the fellows and the studies better with those questions. NIAC Program Executive Jason Derleth. By the way, I want to thank all the great people at NIAC for their support. They pulled off a miracle when it became clear that the Delta variant would make an in-person symposium unwise. All of the presentations are available on demand at the NIAC website. We have the link on this week's episode page at planetary.org radio. I also want to thank the University of Arizona. The school was looking forward to taking us on tours of its mirror lab and other facilities. They still contributed an impressive panel discussion that made me even keener to visit Tucson someday soon. Great highlights of my conversations with nine of the NIAC fellows are also online at planetary.org radio. We only have time here for one. Lynn Rothschild of NASA's Ames Research Center has joined us before. She is a 2021 Phase II NIAC fellow. Lynn reported on her amazing work with fungi that may one day literally give people living on the moon a home. Here's how the break began. It has been absolutely delightful hearing these presentations so far. The the typical diversity, variety of amazing solutions, many of which may not see the light of day. Speaking of not seeing the light of day, that's a, that seems well suited for mushrooms and uh, fungi, I would say. Uh, Lynn Rothschild is here with us. Lynn, great to see you again. I, I was also wonderful to see again that mycelial network stool with someone sitting on it. Yeah, I, it was just great. I had a group of, of what are called iGEM students in International Genetically Engineered Machine Competition, and they were working on this project, and um, without me knowing it, actually, they turned around and in two weeks made this absolutely fantastic little stool. As I always say, it's human-rated because they all sat on it, and it's currently <laughs> in my office, so I know that I can sit on it, too, so it's even adult old lady rated. And um, <laughs> I think that that is a fabulous demonstration of the power of being able to build things with fungal mycotexture. And build them more rapidly than I might have expected. It seems to be a good omen for what we heard about in this latest presentation from you, Mycotexture Off Planet. You are, of course, now a 2021 Phase 2 fellow, so you've made it to that advanced uh, level. There was something on one of your first slides. 
you had a list of some of the benefits of using fungi to uh, help construct the structures that we, we will need as humanity expands at least as far as the moon and maybe beyond. Uh, it mentioned the psychological properties or advantages of making stuff out of fungi. What did you have in mind? Well, what's interesting is when you're building with fungi, you can use that as a material in itself. And in fact, there are a few people like Phil Ross who have used fungi, um, these mycelia in particular, and then squished them down and made imitation leather for high-end mm. handbags. So you could just use the mycelia by themselves, but you can also use it as a binding agent. People have, including my wonderful colleague Chris Maurer, who's an architect at Red House Studios, who's been working um, on this very, very serious way. You can use this to agglutinate something like oh, wood chips or lawn clippings. Obviously, we're not going to have either of those on Mars. But when you do wood chips, you end up with something that you would swear is particle board. And in fact, telling a story out of school, I brought an example of it to NASA headquarters and said, what do you think of this? And they smelled it and said, it's particle board, but it, it kind of smells like a mushroom. <laughs> I said, well, yes, because it is. Um, and so you, ha you have the potential to build things that are warm and cozy and more familiar to us. You could paint, you could make them different colors. And it seems to me that there would be huge psychological benefits to using that kind of approach, something that we're much more comfortable with on planet Earth than just simply staring at steel walls living in a, a large tin can. When I read the description of your project on the NIAC website, uh, I saw this reference to uh, sort of building in bacteria, cyanobacteria, into these structures. Then there was also a very intriguing mention of building in bacteria that release oxygen. Is that also something that might be practical? Yes, I hope it's practical. I think it's a great idea. So for a long time now, I've been pushing the idea that on planet Earth, we use, well, we use, Earth has evolved um, organisms that take advantage of the raw materials on the planet. Water, carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, minerals and so on, and convert those into sugars and proteins and nucleic acids and so on, things that other organisms like us can eat. And this is actually how the world has run for literally billions of years. So to me, we should be taking advantage of exactly the same approach off planet, particularly if you're dealing with some place like Mars that has the CO2 in the water. Why not use a photosynthetic organism such as a cyanobacterium that can take the water, split it open, spit out this, the oxygen as its waste product, but something obviously that is extremely important for us, and again, provide that interface between the raw materials on the planet and the things that other organisms such as ourselves would need to eat. Rather than bringing up a machine that does it for you, why not take advantage of these exquisitely evolved machines called life? And so I believe that that's going to be the key interface. And that's why we actually recently completed a satellite mission testing some of these concepts. Um, totally outside the NIAC program, but we've also incorporated that into this particular project with the fungal mycotexture. I was also intrigued 
by the mention, uh, both on the NIAC website and in your presentation, of terrestrial applications of this technology, uh, which would be a lovely sort of spin-off to see, uh, and even the interest from a master chef. Can you expand on that a little bit? I mean, w would this be something that you could see as helping to create structures, particularly in a disadvantaged areas, third world nations? Absolutely. And again, my um, wonderful colleague, Chris Maurer, already has a project going in Namibia on this. And we certainly imagine being able to make quick structures that you could use as sort of a garage or as a shelter for refugees. But beyond thinking about mycotecture for full habitats, you could also use it to replace a lot of things. I'm, I'm looking at you right now sitting in, in your room, and it looks like you have a wooden or wooden imitation desk, and behind you maybe a dresser and bookshelves and so on, filing cabinet. There is no reason every one of these things couldn't be made with fungal mycotecture. And to go out a little bit on a limb, I bet you we could make your hat and shirt and tie <laughs> out of it if we're not binding anything, if we're just using that, so that you would have sort of an imitation leather you know, mycotecture. I'm not sure if we could do your glasses or your computer quite yet, but we could build you a very nice computer case. I look forward to shopping at your, your new online site, uh, the, the, the Myco Market. <laughs> um, please forgive this dyed-in-the-wool Trekkie. Maybe I should say uh, dyed-in-the-fungi in the Trekkie. Have you ever seen uh, Star Trek Discovery, one of those new uh, series that you uh, have to get streaming? <laughs> There's a mycelial network that stretches across the universe in Star Trek Discovery, pure science fiction, of course, till we discover it, which uh, apparently outdoes warp drive. So uh, perhaps you are uh, going to help us uh, travel between the stars. The work that you're doing today uh, might someday turn into that, at least in the Star Trek universe, Lynn. That's my next <laughs> NIAC. <laughs> NIAC fellow Lynn Rothschild of NASA's Ames Research Center. Eight more of my eye-opening conversations with NIAC fellows and other symposium participants are online. We've got Bruce Betts and What's Up in one minute here on Planetary Radio. There's so much going on in the world of space science and exploration, and we're here to share it with you. Hi, I'm Sarah, Digital Community Manager for the Planetary Society. Want more space? We've got the latest news, pretty planetary pictures, and Planetary Society publications on our social media channels. You can find the Planetary Society on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. I hope you'll like and subscribe so you never miss the next exciting update from the world of planetary science. Hi, I'm Jason Davis, Editorial Director for the Planetary Society. Did you know there are more than 20 planetary science missions exploring our solar system? That means a lot of news happens in any given week. Here's how to keep up with it all. The downlink is our new roundup of planetary exploration headlines. It connects you to the details when you want to dive deeper. From Mercury to interstellar space, we'll catch you up on what you might have missed. That's the downlink every Friday at planetary.org. It's time for What's Up on Planetary Radio, a vacation period What's Up on uh, this regular segment in our show, My Vacation, I don't know about you. I'm still vo joined, though, by the Chief Scientist of the Planetary Society. Here is Dr. Bruce Betts. Welcome to My Vacation. Thanks again for taking me on your vacation, Matt. I appreciate <laughs> it. Yeah, you fit so well in that, in that trunk. Yeah, that part wasn't so relaxing. 
we'll let you out at some point here uh, to when, when the view is right. Thank you. <laughs> we are on vacation, which means that there will not be either a contest or an answer for the contest this week. But I have it from a reliable source that we still have some really great stuff for you. Bruce says, I will be pleased. So go for it. Please me. What's up? All right. Well, let's start with the night sky, which is always pleasing and really pleasing right now with the evening sky with super bright Venus over in the east. No, just testing you. Super bright Venus over in the west (laughs) shortly after sunset and bright Jupiter in the east or south or north, as we discussed, we're in the southern hemisphere and Saturn hanging out near it, looking yellowish. They'll get closer over the coming weeks, that whole that whole gang in the pre-dawn sky. We've got Mercury on the 25th at greatest western elongation, meaning it reaches the highest point during its pre-dawn party for three or four <laughs> weeks. Uh, but the point is, you still have to look really low to the eastern horizon in the pre-dawn. Mercury's there, and it's kind of neat if you can watch it over a few days because we're seeing phases with Mercury like we see with the moon, and it actually brightens like a lot over these coming week or so. And uh, so it actually, if you look carefully, should be noticeable. More coming up with Mercury, but we'll hold that off for for next week because it's going to be, it'll be tough. It's low down, but, but worth it. It's, it's a fun friend, but I, I digress. Let us go to this week in space history. This is so cool, Matt. 2001, which last I checked is 20 years ago. Mars Odyssey arrived at Mars. The last I checked, it's still working. <laughs> Happy 20th anniversary, Mars Odyssey and the awesome team that's uh, been creating it and running it. Congratulations to all of you. You know, we we talk to some of those people every now and then on this show, and what a performance it has put on and continues to put on. Yeah, I mean, that's how it got the name, right? It was in honor of uh, Arthur C. Clarke's book and uh, Stanley Kubrick's movie. (laughs) Indeed. We're even well past now the sequel, the first sequel to 2001, which was 2010, which was uh, the return to that uh, that strange object out there at I can't remember if it was Jupiter or Saturn of course in the in the movie it was Jupiter but in the original book it was Saturn but uh, Kubrick decided it was just too difficult to make Saturn look realistic there's a random movie space fact for you wow nice well played sir but i'm going to go on to a random space fact that was good i like that jingle Maybe we'll use that one again. If only I could remember it. Okay, I think you'll like this. In the time it takes me to read this sentence, the Voyager 1 spacecraft has gotten approximately 200 kilometers farther away from us on Earth. (laughs) Boom. Did you actually time the sentence and figure that out? I mean, you had to figure this out, I imagine. I I did, but I wouldn't swear I delivered it exactly properly. So, you know, approximately. I was assuming a 12-second sentence. You can go back and and check. Anyway. No, I'm happy. I don't want to know. I just want to believe that one. That was exactly exactly how long it took it to get 200 kilometers farther away. And I believe, since we've been talking, it got another 500 kilometers away. 
Yeah. And if we don't shut up, it's going to be a thousand kilometers away. That was it's wonderful. So Thank far you. away. <laughs> hey, there's no contest to go to. Uh, what will I do with myself? Just one week off because next week I promise a new contest and then uh, winners, two new winners the following week. It's going to be a wonderful return. I, I don't know what else to say. It seems so strange not to have a contest except to say we're done. All right, everybody. Go out there, look up in the night sky and think about questions and answers. Thank you and good night. <laughs> the really big ones, the ones that haunt all of us. Probably 2,000 kilometers by now. He's Bruce Betts, the <laughs> chief scientist of the Planetary Society, who joins us every week, even when I'm not really there, for What's Up. Or is it 2,001 kilometers? Ooh. Planetary Radio is produced by the Planetary Society in Pasadena, California, and is made possible by its innovative and very advanced members. Mark Hilverda and Jason Davis are our Associate Producers Josh Doyle composed our theme, which is arranged and performed by Peter Schlosser at Astro.